Hello and welcome to In Stitches. I'm Robbie Richardson and this is the Upholstery Podcast for Upholsterers, telling your story and inspiring others. Today I'm delighted to welcome Bruce Jack, the nice man of upholstery. Welcome Bruce. Thank you Robbie, nice to be here. So coming up to school leaving age, were you sort of an academic person or were you a very hands-on person? Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? Um, like a few others that have been on your previous podcast, I was in the, a great child in the sense that pretty average at things. I was doing well at school and I wanted to be in the, in the, the Royal Air Force until I was told my eyesight wasn't going to, I wasn't going to get in. So then it just, just dropped, not dropped out. I wasn't a bad kid, never got expelled or anything, but never excelled at anything. Really, that was, it was like, I didn't know what I was going to do next. That was, you know, I left school at 16 and then it's the big, big bad world opened up in front of us. Yeah. So how, how did you start work? What, what, where did you go? In, in my little village where I grew up in Cornwall, um, it sounds like a complete lifetime ago, but we used to have a cobbler's shop and I used to take down shopping bags, your shoes used to get repaired, new soles, belts, your mother, you know, you'd be running errands for them, taking people's stuff to the cobbler shop. Well, the cobbler um, used to, I used to go down and he used to let me scribe stuff out, punch holes and do some leather work. So I asked, I asked him if I could go on with him after school. And he said, oh, no, you want to, you want to get yourself a career. So he said, the trouble is with, with leather work now, all the mass production are coming in, so saddlery is going to be, it's all going to go mass production, which it did for a very short period of time. And then people found out that every horse is a different size and every piece of um, uh, equipment for a, for a horse is, is different and all needs repairing and needs to be repaired with quality. People, um, people really spend a lot of money on doing it. So in actual fact, his, he, he became so successful 10, 15 years later, he still had a really big business. But yeah. my, I had an interview, so he said that he could, I couldn't come down and work for him. So he, he, I had an interview in the morning with a, a big national trust house as a gardener. So I don't know if you know Cornwall, but it's we get sea mist most of the time. Yeah, and and if it's not if it's not uh, it's not misty, it's usually raining, and so. I had an interview with, in, uh, up at Anthony House for God, and they said, oh, um, you're going to have to learn Latin for all the plants. So, like, I struggled to speak English without, <laughs> without, without uh, learning Latin. And then the next question, they said, have you got any vices? Well, at 16, I didn't know what any vices were. Yeah. So I've got loads now, but I'm not confessing them now. I think that's a different culture. <laughs> So I went away that from that in the, in the morning, it was, rain, it was raining, it was horrible, you know, not a great experience. And in the afternoon, um, I went for an interview for an upholsterer and leather worker. I didn't know what an upholsterer was. So I went, I got a lift down and went to for another interview, went inside this big, big um, industrial unit with three or four guys working in it, machinists working upstairs. And radio one on. It had uh, you had cups of tea. There was all there was young people. It was laughing and joking. It was a completely different atmosphere. And 
so I ex- accepted the job and started like on the Monday after that. So, oh wow! So, so, so can I ask you how old were you when you when you started? Was it sixteen? I, or? Yeah, I started yeah. at sixteen. Yeah. And and that and so how did how did you settle into that? And how did you sort of? Did, well, did, was it a, 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 an instant sort of connection, or did it take a while? Yeah. Well, it, for me, it was a pretty instant connection. We were doing some some reasonably nice furniture, but however, you know, I was way down the pecking order then. I don't even know if I was on the pecking order, but so for me, it was about twelve months because I started on a YTS scheme. So it was it was about twelve months in, and then the um, there was a guy a guy came to the workshop one day, and he worked for. Uh, an agency called Casira, which then became the Rural Development Commission. And they had, they went around to all rural crafts, basically in towns, but not in cities, but sort of rural areas, villages and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got signed up to take on then. So to, and he showed me some of the work that previous students had done. And like, that was just, that was just the fuse was lit then. So, okay. so- when, when you started, the, the place you started, was that traditional-based work or, or was it a mixture? They, they had literally ev- everything you could imagine. Um, but I think, you know, as a few other guy, people on here have said before, I started probably for the first 12 months, I probably stripped furniture every day. We did a lot of bus seats in Moquette. Um, we did, we did. You know, I would be taking stuff in. We did being in Cornwall. There's lots of holiday parks, so there's loads and loads of of um, st- basically stripping. By the end of the year, I probably was putting on button, bottom cloths, making buttons, stuff like that. So, yeah. really old, old, yeah. yeah, just old school stuff, really. Yeah, very similar to uh, my my starting, really. So. It, it, how long were you in that job for? How long did you, you work there? I stayed there. So that would have been about four, four years, four or five years. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So so I changed over from a YTS halfway oh, okay. through and then, then did another couple of years and then like as an apprentice and then as an approver. And I think you had to have a you signed a piece of paper that said if you did the if you did the you got funding from the government to do that, your employer got funding and things like that so if if you if you got that training you had to stay with them for 12 months afterwards anyway so which i did in in terms of your your training and your development i mean who 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 is your mentor who's someone that you constantly go back for and and want to sort of get well the 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 biggest the the the, my biggest breakthrough in a sense though so so i then went to um salisbury and we did two weeks every three months and we did so you stayed in Salisbury so you know it's it's not quite it's not it's not a massive city compared to to some but it's still away from home being on your own there was a guy called David Edgar he was the course instructor Uh, he was was known as the master man so um he was he treated you like very close to the edge of what it would have been like to be working in an, in a real workshop. He wore a tie every day. He wore he wore his sort of white jacket, a white um, coat with his pens in the top. Yeah. Um, but 
you were treated like a real adult in the sense that once he started telling you what we were going to be doing, that was just amazing. But he said at the very start, he said, if you, you know, or you'll be treated like an adult. If you're late, you're gone. If you muck around, you're gone. If all these sort of, you know, rules that you'd have in any workshop or any business. But so he'd take us down the pub sometimes at lunchtimes and we'd be talking about asking you questions and constantly going over the stuff you did. He was just literally, there was eight started, of course, and four finished it because those people that were on it, if they were late more than twice in the, in the fortnight, they were gone. So it was, it was real world. It wasn't, it was and like literally we had time slots to do everything. So it wasn't like you could carry on. You had to learn and you had an exam at the end of each, each fortnight. So it was, it was quite, it was, but it was, it was amazing because the interest was sparked by this guy. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So you had a time frame with which to do the work. Yeah. Whilst you were still training. Yeah. The other biggest thing that I benefited for the most, from, from most, and there's a lot of my friends who also did the course, we did everything in the best quality materials. Back then there was, and it's, similar sort of time time to you you know you had a few different black and whites you had a black and white gold you had a black and white twin stripe you had a black and white the herringbone superior there was and then all the same with that same with the scrims we didn't have linen scrim back then i think it was nearer like a 10 to 12 ounce but it, it had a lovely soft it was just yeah. lovely and soft um and literally so there was no no money spared on the so we literally we would do something um Everything was done in hair. The two main things that were sort of knocked into you would be don't use inferior products and possibly inferior techniques. I don't know whether that's true, but that was that was kind of pummeled into us from the start, which was really good, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I, I think having, I mean, it's not always possible to, particularly at the moment, and I think some of the quality of the materials is slightly inferior than it, than it was. I mean, I, I've been importing from... France and I can't do that now and I guess yeah. that's true for a lot of people and the quality of their hessian is so is vastly superior to, to what we get here I, I'm going to try and amalgamate these two questions if I can so with with the training having its limits as to um, where you can go afterwards what advice would you give to students for the next step for the next stage of their career to develop their skills well, I would I would say basically. So I was like, my mine was a full time job. So I know things things have changed quite considerably. But I would say the most important thing is if they if they can go and knock on their door of somebody and, and volunteer and eat at the very least, but then make yourself indispensable. So if you're there two days a week, see if you can get three days a week. You know, or if you're there a day a week. Or yeah. Saturday morning, just make and literally always find some 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 reason for you to go there. Um, yeah. the, the other thing I would say, if you can't do that, at the very least, buy go for the easiest products. So like drop in seats, um, and just keep like we did. You know, the very first week we did a drop in seat. We did it all up to Calico. And um, the very next question, the next thing was strip that out again. We'll do them again now. But it yeah. wasn't like you've got two days to do a drop and seat. You've got you've got 40, 40 you know, you've got minutes to 
you know, everything was right. When we had to almost race the other people, we all had our own bench. We almost had to race everybody else when we were working. So you got ridiculed if you were last by, by your peers as well. But that's a really interesting point to make because I, I think, I mean, I don't mean this disrespectfully to anyone, but, but as, a, as a student going through the system, overall, they tend to be quite slow. So if you were to give yourself those sort of deadlines and timing restrictions and sort of trying to beat your previous time for a drop in pad, that would be quite a good way of actually learning the skill and actually speeding up at the same time. Because it is, I think, quite an important part of the trade. It's not only the skill that you bring, but being able to do it at a reasonable pace. Uh, yeah, another another couple of things that were kind of, it sounds like I was, <laughs> sounds like I was on a battleship or something, but just drummed <laughs> into us, were things like, if, if you don't get it right at the start, you'll never work it out. It's like, yeah. if it's not right, each stage it'll grant you if you don't get your fruit bridle ties right and all the such and you don't get your stuffing right you don't get screwing right you'll never stitch it out you'll never regulate it out it'll just compound it'll just get worse and worse and worse and so that was like sometimes you'd be doing something and they come um, what are you going to do about that and um and you go you'd look and you try to find every reason to carry on and uh he said what are you gonna do so we don't, I don't know if you, there was a song by a band called Orange Juice, which was uh, Rip It Up and Start Again. But we'd all be, if somebody got called out on it, we'd all be in the background with our hammer and our mallet and chisel going, Rip It Up and Start Again. So we were just constantly, so literally, but it was, we, but those lessons learned then, you know, I've done it many times where I've put something in and I've gone, I'm not happy with that. I, I know it's a pain in the ass, so I'm going to have to rip that out yeah. and do it again just because yeah. you've either overstuffed it or understuffed it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure most people have, haven't they? Oh, totally. I, it's, it's, I well, think the hardest yeah, for, part of it to learn in some respects is actually ripping out something because it's not yeah. 100% right. It's, it's, that's a challenge for, well, for most of us, I think, because you, you've got to accept that you haven't done it well enough. The, um, I don't, also, I just say to guy, everybody, uh, like students, is practice, practice, practice practice then repeat practice yeah. And, yeah. but on the same time keep things like work to simple things like keeping your line straight always marking the centers and, and and you know keeping your thread lines true and the thread lines are there so easy to help you sometimes sometimes it's a nightmare because your frame is out so you just you have to then have to bring it back towards where i work so you but yeah. but those little things like that like you know they were drilled over and over and over again with us. So if you tapped in your script, or tapped on your script, if it wasn't straight, you'd have to take it off. Even though you could have twisted it and got, you didn't know, you'd just take that off and start again. So, yeah, it's fantastic advice, actually. And it's probably the most comprehensive advice we've had on that question in some respects, because it's a bit more detailed. And I mean, if this is a very similar question, but I mean, if you were starting out today, how would you look to achieve the skills that you have now? What what would be the challenge, do you think? I'd find out who the best was and go to knock on their doors and yeah. then just say what you want to do. And like I say, make yourself and make yourself known to them. Um, I'd be, you know, there's so much more ability uh, things to you know to read now. There's things you've got YouTube lectures, you've got so you know we used to have homework to do you have to request a book at the library and that could take two or three weeks 
Yeah. Um, so like now you've got it's more or less on your hands instantly there for you to, to discover stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, isn't it? Moving on to the next question. Did you have a part of the craft that, that really inspired well, I, you, you enjoyed? Yeah, I think the stitching up right when you knew that you got the scrim on right and then you get, get stitching, that would be my favourite time. Or, so, or the other thing would be sometimes getting the delivery of a hide of leather, open it up because my, my workshop was so facing. So you'd whack the hide on the, on the, so in the mornings the sun would come through and it'd be lovely and lovely sweet smelling uh, hide. And then you get to deep, deep button something like that. And you literally, you, you, you'd have this and you'd mark it all out. There was always a nervousness. When, have I got everything just right? And obviously with fabric, there always is a little bit more leeway, but with hide, you really haven't got, you've got to get it right for a start. Yeah. yeah. And, but that excitement and that nervousness, I, I kind of would say it's like getting nervous before you go on stage, that sort of thing. But then, <laughs> but it wasn't an arrogancy either to say, you had to say, yeah, I could do this. But you had to talk to yourself and say, come on, you, you can, you could do this. But, but there was that doing, doing work in hide, that always was, one yeah. of my favourites, probably. Yeah, I've just, I've just thought, sort of going back when you left your your first job, and you you went after you left Salisbury, you, yeah. you mentioned that you had to be somewhere for twelve months. Where 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 was that? Well, basically, I, the first guy I worked for was a guy in Bodmin, and that was a guy called the Chairman. Unfortunately, he's no longer around in business. He's retired a long time ago, yeah. but. So then I went, after that, I went to Brian Morse and Sons. Well, Brian was a, a in the AMU. He was like very old school, but his son, Steve, we became best pals because he had done the course about four or five years before me. So he like constantly, like it would be many a time where we'd have two chairs and like whoever whoever could make the, do do a particular thing the quickest got away with the other one having to make the cups of tea or something like that there was always something to drive you if you were stripping furniture if you were slipping up the outside backs you know you, you both do your outside backs where you stick the dining chairs together you you'd be like you don't you you couldn't take any any because your work would be looked at you couldn't just cut any corners yeah but it was fun because you were competing and i don't I've always been at love sport and things like that. So it was just, you think, imagine it, nine times out of 10, or probably 9.9 something, I was, he would beat me. So, or if you'd have done something and, and it looked crap, you'd have to take, excuse the French, you'd have to take it out and do it again. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a, a saying, isn't there, about haste and paste? Yeah. Paste. <laughs> yeah. Not paste. Um, so what's your proudest moment in upholstery? One of the proudest moments I did, I was asked to do, uh, there's a lovely state, a uh, lovely National Trust house in um, in Cornwall called Lanhydrock. Um, really beautiful National Trust house near, just outside Bourbon. And I was asked to make up a seat to go in the long gallery. So I don't know if you, if you went into the long gallery, it's a very, very long hall with this amazing, uh, plasterwork, massive ceiling, and the guy that I got introduced, he he 
he'd got a black and white picture of basically a bonquette, a bonquette, whatever, however you want to pronounce it, which which was literally two, two, two almost two bench seated back to back, so people could come in and sit and then look up the ceiling. Well, he he didn't want that. He wanted it so you could sit on all sides. So it was, so basically. He, they got a mate. They had a craft workshop at, at the, at down there, um, and they made up the um, the base all out of the oak that's felled from the estate. And then they said, "What we wanted done, we want we want a horsehair cushion, um, and we want it to fit over the like a pinnacle in the middle. We want it to fit over the top of that, so anybody can sit anywhere around thing. The cushion's never going to come off." But it has to be loose, so it can't can come. But it's never going to slide off. So, and I don't know. I still don't know how I did it because <laughs> I didn't make any money out of it. But <laughs> I, I did make basically a square shape, a squab cushion, and stitched up the ins outsides and the insides, and then covered it in chicken, and then it's covered in leather. But but then that lifted off like a square polo mitt and goes over the top. Yeah. But they have thousands of people through that that building a year, um, and obviously in normal times. And every couple of years, I've been down there, and it's still in really good. Well, it was. I'm afraid to go down there now. It might be before it's ready, <laughs> but but it was always in really good condition. The things I've learned now, by just some of the so there's some really knowledgeable guys that are on on social media. And with yeah. some amazing, I don't some amazing work you see, and you just say, okay. that, that gives you things to aspire to. It does, yeah, totally. Um, that's 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 interesting. So, as a matter of interest, how long did it take you to make that squab seat? You remember? I reckon, I reckon to cover it to do it all. I reckon it probably was probably was about two weeks. Wow, wow. So, but, but yeah. Yeah, immensely satisfying. That's probably the proudest, but if I can just quickly say, I have done pieces of furniture that have no value. Nobody would get out of a skip. And the, but I use the analogy of a little old lady, but a little old lady would give you this piece of furniture, you'd bring it up, and she'd come up possibly with a daughter or something. She'd say, oh, could you do this to every joint? And it's gone, you know, everything, everything's gone, but but you'd re redo this whole... Chair and that little old lady was as pleased that you'd done that, and she would cry. You know, you get that cry of joy because there was a there was a reason behind why she wanted to, why did she remember that chair, her mother, her father, her grandparents. But yeah. then, then and she'd pay you as well, and that would be such a bonus. <laughs> but you get like a hug. Oh, you know, they'd be chuffed to bits. Yeah, no, lovely. So, so the value is what you put on things, isn't it? And I, I think there's such. A, I mean probably said before but it's such an important part of the job i think that that because that's why we do it in a way isn't it that that whole sort of restoration bringing back to life of and making something beautiful and the, the customer's acknowledgement of that is is kind of the almost the reward in a way isn't it yeah, yeah. oh definitely but you know there'll be the odd occasion you do some lovely pieces of furniture and you spend hours on it, you've got them everything but you'd go into a house and the, into a big house, and they'd go, "Oh, leave that over there," and uh, yeah, send your accounts on. And you'd say, 
um, I got to braver later on, and I'd say, well, if you can, if you pay us now, then we can eat this week, or the children, my children need school shoes. <laughs> but but then you could literally have you the, the effort they looked at. You could have done it the fabric out upside down or back to front. Yeah. Not lines, because they'd have no. There was no appreciation of you. But that no, little lady, yeah, loved yeah it. I know. But they, I mean, that's that's just different people, isn't it? I mean, yeah. people are always different. I mean, that's a frustrating side of it. And on that moment, on that question, I, I, I'm, I, mean, I think I ought to change this question because it feels so bloody negative. But what frustrates you about the trade? What, what, what do you think is the the thing that could be improved within the trade, which might be a more positive spin on it? Um, I think that um, things like just making some things a bit easier for argument's sake, like when you get a fabric delivery and it's a velvet you've ordered, when you when you see it come it being delivered into your uh, into your workshop and it's wrapped really tightly, and you think that's going to go, I, I don't even need to open that. That's got to go back. So, but yeah. then you'll get another brilliant company that will put it in a square box and a the ends are suspended yeah, and it yeah. comes in first time and it works. But if you, if you keep, I've had, you know, I can remember sending stuff back two or three times and you kind of think that I'm not the only person that's doing this. Everybody's going, this is shocking. Yeah. So I think things like that, I probably am not so such frustrated or more, well, probably the qualities of some of the materials and the lack of materials possibly. Yeah, I think I, that's a really good point, yeah. And a positive question. What excites you about the trade? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be a personal thing, but but in terms of development or, or what you see around you or well, something what, you, you do or have done. What I think is so positive is the fact that there is so many um, people coming into the trade and it doesn't matter whether they're only going to do one chair for themselves or they want to take it to a business level. Just, you know, there was a period of time where reps would come around and they would say, oh, another somebody else has gone there, they've stopped doing it, and, you know, that sort of stuff. And it got to a point where there was almost like you felt that you were the, won't be long before you're the last man standing sort of thing. Yeah. But now it seems to have blossomed, developed, and, you know, there's there are some really amazing training facilities now that are doing really great work yeah um and there's also some really great uh upholsters who are, who are prepared to put their their pictures on instagram and stuff like that um so that people can see and give something for, for people to aspire to yeah yeah totally totally um I, I kind of don't want to bypass this because it's it, your your involvement with the Guild of Traditional Upholstery. Um, so sort of, you, you've been involved with that for quite some time now. Tell us a little bit about that and how you were involved with it and what you've done in in, in the past and future. Well, the the, the guy Steve uh, Morris that I work with, he um, and well through the through the it was basically the new entrance training scheme back then the nets. They set up a guild then, so that it was for the individual. So, so it didn't mean like the boss couldn't get it and then trade with the, with the guild logo. And then, so and it was literally trying to. I know there was a lot of rivalry because the the guy that was teaching us was 
getting a lot of a stick because he was teaching some things to us that people weren't learning for, you know, to their five, six years into, or, you know, later into their trade. And then also a um, friend of ours, David James, another, another yeah. really nice chap, really nice chap. Um, he, he was involved. So my, the, the, my boss's son was, was the chairman. So then I got in, introduced that on that way. And then I'd say 30 odd years later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, 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 obviously to, to join the guild, you've got to um, take an exam and you've got to, to upholster a circular stool and have photos well, of work and so on. It, when did that come in? Is that something that's come in during your time, that, or is that? Is yeah, that... no, that, that that's been that's been there. I mean, some of the some of the it's like everything. That something that's put down at the very at the very original time is is quite loose, and it's only one you encounter not a problem an issue, but then you have to keep changing things to make things that has to be a, or an exact rule rather than it's woolly or something like that because people want to know exactly what you have to do so so you can you can literally be a student member there's a journeyman member now membership now so if you finish your training i'm, I'm not doing a sales pitch here but no no then, do do i think it's important that people so, know about you. so then you, as a journeyman i know uh, it used to be an improve i used to get it called an improver so when i was so literally for the let's just say the three to five years of anybody's normal average apprenticeship then you went on and you usually became a journeyman you moved to other places and you the idea was for you to speed up and gain knowledge and yeah and take so nobody ever left nobody like left and then then became that set their own business up there was you would never that would be something you wouldn't do so then it's, it's, it's a journeyman so that gives you a chance to to gain hone your craft you know seek a a bit more advice, you know, get things into play, get your ducks into rows. Um, yeah. Then, then the, the certificate member membership is literally, it's a circus stool um, done, and then the, it's, it's it has to be called exam test, whatever you call it. It's some yeah. it's good shivers, but literally all it is is twenty five questions, and it is just just things like how long did Queen Victoria stay on the throne but then it'll be what sort of fillings are in this what would you expect to find in certain chair so it, it literally what what size tax would you use what's certain names of certain things and obviously there is tolerance and leave so it's not like it, it's something and the, the emphasis is on the practical rather than not you know because at the end of the day you could be academic at Upholstery, street but it doesn't mean you can uh, totally yeah yeah yeah, totally. And so you've been a member for 30 years? Yeah, well, yeah, so it would have been, I I think I joined in 88, 89 then, whenever that is, so, yeah. Wow, that's, that's lovely. And, and thanks for talking about that, because I, I, it's something that I haven't really spoken about, and I, I, I think it's nice that people know that there is that organisation out there to, to help and guide as well. Well, it, it is it is a it is a thing because we're all we're all volunteers, and I mean the amazing the use of technology is amazing because you know I went to Salisbury along with lots of other people. We had people from Norfolk, people from Kent, all the people that set the guild up, 
and we were all young guys. We were all working for somebody, not on good wages. We're all we're all going to Salisbury, which became the little bit like the start point, and three or four times a year plus an AGM. So, yeah. and it would take from it's, you know from Cornwall, it would be all you know you'd leave at six o'clock in the morning, and you'd probably get back at eight at night most times. So, yeah. you know that was your weekend almost. Yeah. I mean, I've been to one or two meetings and I, I, I think they're amazing. Um, really fantastic things. And I, I wish there were more of them. But anyway, so how do you relax outside of upholstery? The um, relaxing now is like, um, you haven't mentioned it yet, but I just want to think I've had to give up in the last two years, for, well, like about two years ago, because um i've got ms and it's yeah. progressively got worse it's got worse so i can't stand up very long and i get weakness in my left arm so i've been battling that on my own for like 15 years in business but 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 those times and still now music has always been something that i've i've um got into or always been involved in love yeah. especially live music local bands yeah. that whole scene yeah. And then also now, now I've just started doing a watercolours course on Zoom to, 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 to paint. And it's oh, like suddenly, and it's painting, it's creation. It's not painting. So it's just two hours. So we sometimes we do abstracts and we sometimes we'll copy a picture. Sometimes that we, we're going to paint a picture of a, a tree. And literally every, everybody that's on that little course will do a different interpretation. So... No, that's that's nice. Yeah, and I, I'm just presuming that's uh, quite a relaxing thing to do as well, which uh, I think well, is what, just, what that question yeah. is all about, really. Yeah, yeah. What what has changed in the trade in in the time that you've been behind the bench? What 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 have you seen that has been the markedly different things? I, I would say the biggest thing is is the amount of um, women in the trade now, because yeah, um, I heard. I heard Steve Franklin was on here and um, he said, and he, he was trying not, and not like myself, I'm trying, this will say, I'm trying not to sound sexist, but when I started, there wasn't, there wasn't a, I didn't know a girl who was an upholsterer. All, yeah. girl, all, fem all females were machinists, cutters, drapery, yeah. that sort of thing. But I reckon probably in the early 90s, some of the, courses like the High Wickham course and the, which was David James's course and the um, Salisbury course uh, ladies females whatever you want to call them women um, started joining the courses and like now I would say it's probably we're out you know they far out more number the the, 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 the stereotype of the male yeah the totally male. yeah I mean it was a very male dominated industry wasn't yeah. it um with a good deal of um, derision towards women at that point, mm. certainly when I started. Um, yeah, absolutely. Is, I mean, it's so nice that it's changed because uh, I think it's but, brought a new element into it right. massively. If you if you look at now some of the posts that um, you you know you can follow, and you see that some of the things that have, people have done the create creativity, yeah, which I think that ladies have brought to the trade, yeah. is 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 immense because I, you know, you can be an, a, an upholsterer, you can be a really good upholsterer, but you can put on 
you can put on beige or beige or dusty pink draylon on on every chair you do or you can do some of these wonderful creations that yeah. you know yeah totally i completely agree with that and so now we come to the last question so it's the desert island disc question and so this gives you a little bit of a, an opportunity to talk about some music i guess but if you were stranded on a desert island what book what song and what film would you take with you um i think the the first book the book i really like would be uh bravo 20 because i i literally when i i got given that and after i lost a family member and i just i think sleep wasn't great at that time but i remember staying up all night reading that book i couldn't put it down wow um the uh, music could be a slightly embarrassing because i have a quite a catholic choice of music so my first I've, you know this i'm saying this very quickly robert robbie is <laughs> i've got 14 status quo albums um so i said that over get that over away brush over, you can edit that bit out then, but like i <laughs> no. just like i just like um you know i, I like everything from uh foo fighters to rock music but i've, I've been listening to some Led Zeppelin today. I've been listening to. Uh, I listened. My son is is early twenties, so I get all the stuff. And I've, we've been to quite a few concerts together. Yeah. So you get the Catfish, and you get all the the, the modern indie bands. So yeah. I've been lucky. I've been given a. But then, then there is something amazing about listening to Pulse Planets, um, and yes. sometimes when you're. Um, when you're stripping a piece of music, if you have a nice fast bit of music on, it doesn't have, <laughs> doesn't have to help you crack out some, strip out some tracks. <laughs> That's cool. And what about a film? You didn't mention a film. Film, I would probably say, for, for I think, probably Apocalypse Now is probably, wow, on, on lots of different levels, because that was one of the first sort of, sort of big war films I had, but I really found that music, um, the, the, like the Flight of the Valkyries and the music, yeah. um, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, worked with films. I never had heard them separately, you know, they all, but that's why I suppose that's how you can tell a good film. It just, and then you'd have, um, but it, it's just that, you know, you get, you get a really good film and you're like, you know, when you look back, that's a hell of a long film. But but there's there's lines in the film which I can't I can't give you the exact word for word. But there's you know there's the you know as we walk into the valley of death, fear no evil because we're the biggest baddest people in that valley. Things like that. You said when you were a young lad, young lads when we were out walking on the moors or whatever we were doing. You those would be quotes that you if you were out on a night out. Those sort yeah. of things would be you know said and jest. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's it, my man. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute delight talking to you, as it is with everyone. Um, but but it's just lovely for you to to share all your your stories with us. So thank you. <laughs>